You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. I shared this, I want to say last year, but I know about two years ago I was getting ready for Father's Day and I came across a statistic and they were talking about fathers in particular. Now, obviously, I think it's not a, a secret in here, uh, definitely not a secret in the world that the majority of single parent homes kind of shift more towards mothers being the single parent, right? Fathers, like an absentee father, that's almost like the stereotype. It's the thing that, you know, even the world knows it's not a secret. And God has graced women so much so, and I, I see it as a huge, huge gift on women. God has graced women that women are just natural born leaders. I mean, you could, it, I, and I, you just can't explain it. God has done something with women that, and this is the grace of God on you, and God has just given women the ability to raise children and play both sides, uh, wear both titles when they need to. And it's a phenomenal thing. And yet when you look at uh, statistics, again, I went back, I was reading a statistic about two years ago, and this statistic was done from a, psych- a psychologist, whatever. Point is, <laughs> what they found was this, that even though a mother can speak into the child's life, she can build a child up, she can do certain things. When a father comes in, a woman, uh, the mother in some most cases, has to say more to build up the confidence of a child versus when a father speaks to the child, he only has to speak very few times and the child's confidence raises. Now, he wasn't saying that women can't. He was saying that women can, but women have to put more into the child than a man does. There's something about a father that when a father speaks to their children, they don't have to say as much. You can be a person of few words and it means more to the child and the child has confidence. At the same time, that same study said most children I, I have a clear understanding of who they are and a clear understanding of their self-worth and value by the time they turn three. Now, I know a lot of times, you know, me, I was a youth leader for a while and we felt like we were playing catch up. We were dealing with kids who didn't even know who their didn't know where their mother was, had no clue who their father was. And they were just happy to be here so they could get something to eat. And that was our youth group. (laughs) And we were trying to play catch up in a lot of ways with these with these teenagers, these 12 year olds, all the way up to 16, 17. And we realized that these kids had no understanding of how valuable they were to God, because the only visual image they had of of a heavenly father to them was gone. And when the mother should have been playing the part, even the mother was not in the picture. Now, we're not here to judge, you know, people's parenting skills. God knows I can't. But (laughs) the point I'm trying to make is this. At the end of the day, children have a clear understanding of how valuable they are by the time that they're three. So what does that say about some of the adults who are walking around? None of you, by the grace of God, you know how valuable you are. I hope you know how valuable you are to your heavenly father. But I want to build that again this morning. I want to remind you how valuable you are to your heavenly father. But in the process, I also want to remind you, you have a heavenly father. You know, the last Sunday we were at our last location, uh, we had that close out message and we, I was hugging people. We were kind of walking out and I'll never forget my mom. I think it was you and Pastor Sam and some, some, one of you were crossing paths and I heard you say not to me, but to around in that conversation, we are not orphans. We have a heavenly father. And I just thought, wow, you know, here we are going, God, you know, our church is going to go to a hotel. What's next? How do we get here? And in the midst of it, I hear We have a heavenly father. We are not orphans. So you are not an orphan. You have a heavenly father. And you know, when you have a heavenly father, let me say this. Your father, Jesus said, in fact, I'm getting ahead. I'll show you in just a moment. But Jesus said this. If your fathers are imperfect, they're they're good. 
They're very good. I have a great father. All right. But as great as he is, he's imperfect. He still makes mistakes. And as great as my father is, when I'm hungry, he doesn't turn around and I say, give me a piece of bread, quoting from Jesus. I ask him for bread. He doesn't give me a snake. When I ask him for fish, he doesn't give me a stone. You see what I'm saying? As good as he is, he knows that when Matthew's hungry, he gives me what I, what, what I would like to eat. And sometimes even before I ask, he already knows Matthew likes this. So he gives me what I, what I want. But how much more would your heavenly father who's perfect? Now, knowing that, look, we have a heavenly father. So it means, hey, when I need something and in that, that same verse, he literally says, therefore, ask, come to him and ask. Your father knows what you have need of before you even need it. So come to him and ask him for it. And as a perfect heavenly father, he won't just give you something good. He'll give you the best. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's start. If you have your Bible, we can turn to Exodus chapter 28. And I had no idea that it would look that dull on this screen. So for that, I apologize. (laughs) Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. Now we're going somewhere. I want you to keep in mind, we're going to start in Exodus, which is normally not what I like to do. I like to start with Paul's letters and work our way back to the Old Testament because we see through the lens of the Apostle Paul. But I want you to keep in mind, I'm going to show you something here and we're going to work our way from the old to the new this morning. All right. Now watch this. Exodus chapter 28. God is giving the instructions to the high priest. And to the high priest, God says this, look, I want the high priest to wear a blue um, ephod on top of a fine linen, white fine linen. And he has to wear the breastplate. He has to wear bells and pomegranates. Excuse me. He's given all the instructions of what the high priest should wear. And when he finally comes to the last piece that the high priest has to wear, he says this in Exodus 28, verse 36. He says, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holiness to the Lord. Can you say holiness? Holiness Holiness to the Lord, right? God says, hey, look, the high priest has to have gold. And on that gold, it must be engraved. Holiness to the Lord. Engraved means it can't be wiped off. It'll be there forever. Are you with me? And then he says, and you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. Now, I should have had a picture for you, but I didn't have too many slides this morning. So imagine this. He has a white turban. And then on the front of that white turban, there's a blue cord that goes around the front. And on top of that blue, there's gold. Now, gold always speaks of righteousness. It always speaks of divinity. Gold engraving, holiness to the Lord. Put it on blue. What does blue in the Bible represent? Grace. Put holiness on top of grace. Then put that on top of the white turban. White speaks of purity. It speaks of innocence. Are you with me? Now, the head. Interesting. I want it on the head. In fact, look at verse 38. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now, if you look up this phrase right here, it shall always be on his forehead. There are so many uh, contradictions from rabbis who study this. They say clearly he would not wear this linen ephod when he laid down to go to sleep. Clearly he would not wear the linen ephod when he went to take a bath. Clearly he wouldn't wear it. And yet God says it should always be on his forehead. Always. Not just when he's in his presence, but always. Now, when we look at the high priest, don't forget, we're looking at a picture of Jesus. Everything on the outside is a picture of everything that's on the inside. Now, why should he wear holiness to the Lord? When he comes into God's presence, when he comes into God's presence, God says, I don't want to see his impure thoughts. I want his thoughts to always be holiness to the Lord. Now, why is that? Then he says this, that you may be accepted before the Lord. 
He bears the iniquity of holy things. Now, let me just go ahead and show you the picture because I want to show you something else. All right. When Jesus comes into God's presence, he should think heavenly father because that's who God is to Jesus. But instead, he comes in and he thinks holiness to the Lord. When you come into God's presence, and we're always in the presence of God, but when you're at home and you have quiet time with the Lord, when you're in your car and you're listening to worship music, when you come to church, all right, we're in the presence of God. Like we just sing, right? We're in the presence of the Lord. When you come into the presence of the Lord, your thoughts are not always holiness to the Lord. Let's just be honest. All right? When you come around me, you think, my God, he smells funny again this week. Your thoughts are not always holiness to the Lord. All right? Thank you for not saying amen. So... What happens is this, your thoughts are not always holiness. So what does he say? Jesus comes in and Jesus' thoughts are holy so that you outside can always say, he's my heavenly father. Are you with me? Your thoughts should always be heavenly father. Now I'm not saying you should never have holy thoughts. What I'm saying is this, when your thoughts are not holy, Jesus bears the iniquity. He bears the iniquity of holy things. Your thoughts, your thought place is actually a holy place. Your mind is a holy thing. And yet, if you're not careful... Bad thoughts can steer you in the wrong direction. So at the cross, what did Jesus do? Jesus took a crown of thorns and he didn't take it. They put the crown of thorns on his head. And there he bore the iniquity of the holy things. So that now on your forehead, even though it's not on the outside, it can always be on the inside, engraved, never erased. You are my heavenly father. Are you with me? At the cross, he wore thorns on his forehead, which speaks of the curse. So that we in him can always have father on our forehead now Matthew where did you get father from all this I'll show you in just a moment but again this is a picture of Jesus for all of us Jesus bears the iniquity of the holy things Jesus wore the iniquity of holy Jesus I mean I can say it about 50 different times in 50 different ways but the beauty of it is this God wants you to have engraved on your forehead father 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 engrave it on your forehead father and you know what why on your forehead because your thought life should always go back to father no matter how bad the problem is, Father. And I'm going to quote from what my mom and Pastor Samuel, I don't know who said it, but I'm going to quote both of them this morning. All right. <laughs> I'm going to quote both of them. You have a father. You are not an orphan. There are people in the world who just go through life. They are orphans. You have a heavenly father. Because Jesus is your savior. You've been born again into a new family. You have a father. And you cannot just go through life. If you're just going through life this morning, by the grace of God, stop. You have a father. Yes. Can you say, I have a father? You say it again, say, I have a heavenly, gracious, loving, kind, defensive, protective father. Amen. We have a father. You don't just go through like you have a father. You know, I love, let's say this again. My dad is a great dad. I'm going to draw from him because his father said, my dad is a great dad. When I needed, when, when I needed money. I could go to my mom. I could go to my dad. And because of the way they saw things, if I came to her, sometimes she would say, don't tell your father. <laughs> and you know what? When I would come to him, there were times I'd say, I'm going through something. And he would say, don't tell your mother. <laughs> I talked about this about two weeks ago. I was going to bring my tallit again. And I didn't this morning. But I have a very expensive prayer shawl, tallit. I have a very expensive one. <laughs> and even though I wanted to bring it, let me say this. It's very expensive. It's so expensive. I love Parker. He can't touch it yet. <laughs> he can't touch it. Now, as much as I love that Talit, do you know she doesn't know how much it costs? <laughs> because he was with me. Now, again, I have a father, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to boast. I'm not trying to boast that she doesn't know. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to boast. 
I'm not trying to boast that she doesn't know, but I'm trying to say this. We have a father. And when you are alone and you say, I don't have enough, you have a father who says, but I do charge it. (laughs) And I mean that you have a father, no matter how bad it is, you have a father. No matter how you say, well, this problem is small compared to someone else's. You still have a father. You say, well, this problem isn't as bad as the person over there, but you still have a father. Well, my problem is worse than everyone else in the church. Let me say this. You have a father. You have a father. And as great as my father is, my heavenly father is perfect. And you know what my heavenly father did? Matthew's going to get to Israel and he's going to want this to leap. So let me put Matthew at the right place at the right time. And let me make sure his dad crumbs across. Because we were on a street market. Let me put his dad at the same place at the same time to walk in behind Matthew. So Matthew can find it. And know the one he wants. So when his dad walks in, he can pull the credit card out at the right time, at the right place. I mean, <laughs> and so Matthew can get what he wants because I love Matthew so much. I want Matthew to know he has a father. Are you with me? Now, how, how important is a prayer shawl that I'll never put on my head to pray with? I'm never going to use it. I, mean, <laughs> I just wanted to have it. Now, as careless as that is, I have a father. You see what I'm saying? Peter could get out the boat. How many people got saved when Peter walked on water? None. How many? And I, I don't know what other churches preach, but let me say this. I've never been in a service where people got saved because the preachers kept saying, Peter walked on water, never received Jesus. As you. No one does that. It was one of those miracles that Jesus just did because he loves you. And if you say, hey, I want this, his heart for you is always, what do you want? Not just what do you need, but what do you want? You want to walk on water? Let's walk on water. You have a father. <laughs> Now, Jesus walked around with this on his head all the time. Before Jesus received the crown of thorns, Jesus walked around all the time. His head engraved holiness to the Lord. Jesus walked around all the time knowing that he had a heavenly father. And his entire ministry was built on that. In fact, in John chapter 16, if I'm not mistaken, 1632, they start questioning Jesus about what's going on. And he says this, let me tell you, it's going to get bad in the world, but don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. And then he says this, my father is always with me. Everything he went through, he knew that his father was always with him. You can never go through something and his father not be with him. Now, when you know that, look at how Jesus lived. Every time someone attacked him, his father was always with him. They could get him to the cliff, but they couldn't push him over. Let me say this. I don't care how how far people push you. They will never be able to push you over. You have a heavenly father. When Jesus was sitting on a mountain and 5,000 plus people are hungry, he could have said, how much money do we have in our account, guys? How much money do we have in the money bag? And they had a money bag. The Bible says Judas was stealing from the money bag and no one knew it but Jesus. Now, if Jesus was poor and they had five copper pennies in a money bag, Judas is stealing one copper penny. Everyone's going to know we're missing a copper penny. All right. I'm only saying that because there's some people who are preaching and teaching Jesus was poor. But let me say this. They had a money bag. And the only one who knew that, the, that Judas was stealing was Jesus. Now, if that's the case, Jesus had money. Jesus had nice clothes. When he was hanging on the cross, the Bible says that the Roman soldiers fulfilled scripture. But heathens with heathen eyes said, let's gamble for Jesus's clothes. You don't see them doing that for the thieves. <laughs> Jesus wore nice clothes. Jesus had money. But in all those things, listen, he had a heavenly father. No matter how bad it got, when it came time to feed 5,000, he didn't say, how much money do we have, guys? He, the Bible says he looked up to heaven and he thanked his heavenly father. He with me. He looked up and said, Father, thank you. Because my father is always with me. 
When it came time to raise a dead man who had been dead for four days, four days, they said, Jesus, he stinks. He's starting to decay. Jesus said this, move the stone away. Then he looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Then he said, Lazarus, come forth. No, I'm sorry. Father, I thank you that you always hear me. But I said this so that they'll all know that you hear me when I speak. What a prayer. <laughs> what a prayer. One of my mom's uh, prayers that she learned a couple of years ago was Abba Nineni. It means, Father, here I am. I'm saying one of the most powerful prayers you can just pray, even if you have nothing else to say. You, I feel beat down. I'm tired of going through this. Just say, Abba, Father. Just say, Abba, Father. Because I'm telling you, one of the greatest prayers Jesus ever prayed. I'm, you, you never see him raise someone from four days dead. I've never seen it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Water to wine is big. Feeding 5,000 is even bigger. But a dead man four days dead, that is tremendous. And his powerful, deep prayer was, Father, you hear me when I pray. I said this so everyone else can hear me. Are you with me? You have a father. He said again, say, I have a father. Say, I have a heavenly father. Who loves me. Is gracious. Is loving. Is kind. Is protective. Over me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen, can you do me a favor? Can you shut that door? I have a brother who loves me. <laughs> this is the first verse. Now, now again, I, I already quoted this verse. So I'm just going to show you real quick so you can see it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? And I put that in bold. I know it's kind of hard to see with this. I won't do that again. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Again, you have a father. And he's not going to give you what you ask for. He's going to give you much more. <laughs> the question is, how much more will he give you? Not will he give it to you, but how much more he will give it to you? Are you with me? No matter what you need, the question is not God will you. The question is, Father, how much more will you? You have a father. You know, my hope is this. At the end of this message, you'll say, you know what? I have a heavenly father. How much more will he give me? I'm serious. My hope is not... I hope he will. My hope is that by the time this service is over, that you'll walk out saying, how much more will he do for me? How much more will he do? I'm telling you, because you know what? I want your faith to rise to the level of what you need. I heard a great minister say this. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. I heard him say it just two days ago. And he said this, in churches where people don't talk about healing, healing doesn't happen. In churches where people don't talk about prosperity, prosperity doesn't happen. In churches where people don't talk about uh, favor of God. People walk around without favor. So you know what? I want to talk about the favor of God. I want to talk about prosperity. I want to talk about healing. I want to talk about miracles. Because you know what? I want all those things to happen. So may your faith rise to the level of Jesus that we see. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Now let me show you the next verse. Look at this in Romans chapter 8. Look what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. Now, now I know you can see the rest of the verses, but just focus on verse 15 real quick. I didn't bring my watch this morning, so I don't know how much time we have. <laughs> Is what? <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 15. He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, the spirit of bondage, again, I'm going to paraphrase and go back and look at the context. He's talking about the law. As long as you were under the law, you were in the spirit of bondage again to fear. 
When they came to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, the Bible says God spoke and said, continue in my covenant. And the people were so terrified. They said, Moses, we can't listen to God anymore. Please, you go talk to God for us because we are so afraid. Are you with me? Under the law, there's fear. Under your works, you have a reason to be afraid. If you're trusting that God will move because you've done something right, you have a reason to be afraid. But listen, you did not receive that spirit. Beloved, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Adoption. How? By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, a servant has to ask the master for something. But a son doesn't have to. A son knows, I am a son. Don't get me wrong. Jesus said, ask your father. Yes, ask. But you know, what? like we said a couple of weeks ago, there's something sons don't have to ask for. There's something sons just let their father know. Hey, look, I'm this is the situation. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> Are you with me? Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, don't just let the pastor bear witness. Let the Holy Spirit inside you himself bear witness. You are a child of God. Yes. Amen. And if you are a child then you are heirs. Now, pause for one moment. I know you can see the rest of this. What is the point of the Holy Spirit inside you reminding you that you are a child? There's a reason. It's not just to tell you you're a child. There's a reason he wants to tell you that you're a child. Do you, Watch the train of thought. If you are a child of God, then you are an heir. And if an heir, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Watch this. Why is the Holy Spirit telling you that you're a child? So that you can know that you're an heir. And if you're an heir, what does that mean? You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. The Holy Spirit is inside you telling you, you have an inheritance. You are not like the rest of the world fighting for positions, fighting for, for, for a place in life, fighting to get more so that you can get caught in the rat race. You are a child of God. You have an inheritance. Yes. You know what's so awesome about an inheritance? And you probably already know this. You know what's awesome? Is that when they call you and tell you the inheritance is ready, it's yours. In fact, when we had our inheritance, they didn't even call us. We got a letter in the mail telling you it will be in your account. Look for it. <laughs> Look for it. And I can tell you right now, I got a text message. It might have been a text or a phone call. He might have been at work. It's there. It's there. <laughs> the inheritance is there. It's there. And you couldn't get off work to go. To, but the point I'm trying to make is this. The inheritance. You don't have to even like now. You don't have to sign for it. We did sign for it. But now it just hits your account. How much more did Jesus, by the blood and by the sacrifice he made, he put it in your account? It's there. And my job is not to tell you how to get it. My job is to tell you just it's yours. It's yours. Jesus put wholeness in your account. Jesus put favor in your account. Jesus put prosperity into your account. It's yours. And the Holy Spirit is inside you saying, believe that you are a son. Believe that you're a daughter. Believe you are a child of God. And not just to walk around saying, I'm a child of God. No, so that you will take advantage of the fact you have an inheritance. Yes. It belongs to you. Yes. That's why I say this in this church. We don't want to negotiate with the non-negotiables. There are some churches, they say, well, God heals some, but God doesn't heal everyone. Well, God, God does this for some. God doesn't do this for everyone. We look at Jesus. All right. How many times did Jesus walk up to a person and say, I've healed five people today that were blind. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Jesus, when he stood up in, in Luke, I want to say Luke chapter four, stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to open some blind eyes to proclaim liberty and freedom to some. <laughs> All right. To tell some poor people they have good news. 
He didn't do that. He suddenly said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to open the blind eyes, to set at liberty all those who are in captive, to do what else? I mean, come on. God, this is the acceptable year, the favored year of God for all of us. We are in the season of God's favor, unlike any other. We are in the season of God's favor. And you know what? It's not what you work for. It is your inheritance. Amen. And you know what? I can't get it for you. But I'm telling by the, oh man. You know what Jesus said in John 17? Jesus said this, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, make holy, actually means separate them. Separate them by your truth. Your word is truth. When you are sitting, and like you are right now, like this morning, as the word of God's favor goes out, God is separating you from the world. He's showing the world. He's not just showing you. He's showing the world. You have a father. And everyone without me is an orphan. You would do well to be like my children. You would do well to come follow my children and get what they have so that you can get what they have. God is sanctifying you, showing the world you have a heavenly father. Amen. I want, to, I want to keep going, but we have somewhere else we need to go. Now, let's keep going. Watch this in John 17. We're going to follow Jesus' prayer in John 17, the high priestly prayer in John 17. I have the whole thing up here, but John 17. John 17. I'll just use what we have up here. Now, in John 17, these are Jesus' last words before he dies. Last words before he enters into his passion. All right? Last words before he sings a song. The Bible says they sang some songs. Then they got together and they all went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I told myself I wouldn't say this, but we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. We were there. We were there. Oh, man. I said this two weeks ago and I told myself I wouldn't say this either. But when you go, when you go. Let me, can I just, can we take a moment real quick? Yes. Let me tell you what my heart is. I saw another pastor do this, and I said, Lord, if you give us the ability, I'm going to do it. What he did was, they went to Israel so much that the Israeli government started asking, why are you coming? And they explained. They said, well, we love your people, so anyone who comes from your country, they won't have to go through all the, the crazy customs. We'll just bring your people in. All right? And that church is so well-resourced that they said, if you want to go to Israel, you don't have to worry about it. You only pay a very small portion, very small. The church will take care of the rest. You sign up. We'll make sure that the date works. We'll have multiple dates within a season of time. And you say, well, I'm going with the first group. Someone says, I'm going with the fourth group. That sounds good to me. You sign up and you go. And what we'll do is the, the, the leaders, we'll just go stay in Israel. And as the first group comes, we'll walk through Israel together. Right? Then when you go home. The second group comes, we'll walk to Israel again. And the third and the fourth. And then when the last group comes, we'll fly home with the last group and we'll all go talk about it next Sunday. And I just had this moment. I thought, Lord, (laughs) if you do it, I'm telling you, if you give us the ability, I want to do it. Because it's just so, oh man. And like I said, for me, I just had this moment where I was like, I want to learn as much as I can. And you're seeing this. So anyways, Mount Zion Hotel, literally the hotel where we stayed, um, you're facing the old city. You're facing Jerusalem, the city where Jesus was. You see all of it. And the only thing separating you from the city was the Kidron Valley. And the Bible says the brook Kidron, but the brook is dried up. So now it's the Kidron Valley. And just to the left of the hotel is the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the mount where that mountain was. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the bottom towards the brook. So anyways, Jesus is there, and um, he's not there yet. But they're in the upper room, and they're singing and praying. And Jesus' last words to his disciples. All right, let me say this. You're about to see a conversation between a father and a son. 
Okay? You're about to see the conversation between the Father and the Son. We call this the high priestly prayer because Jesus is praying as if he's in God's presence. Now, let me show you something about prayer that I just love. Jesus is praying as if he's in God's presence. He's praying as if most of the work is already done. Okay? The last time I saw this happen, I'm not sure if it happened between now and that point, but the last time I saw this happen, Jonah was in the well of the belly. And the entire chapter 3, Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord, past tense, and he heard me from Zion. I cried out for help and he sent me help. I cried out to the Lord and the Lord did this for me, but he's still in the belly of the well. My point is this, Jonah prayed a prayer assuming that God had already done it, pretending like God had already answered his prayer. Are you with me? So his prayer was saying, God, this is what you did for me, even though God hadn't done it yet. And chapter four ends, starts off by saying this, and the well spit Jonah out. (laughs) Jesus has not gone to the cross yet, but he's praying as if it already happened. Let me say this. I know sometimes we need to come to the Lord and just be 100% honest. Sometimes in your brokenness, sometimes in your hurt, in your pain, don't ask the Lord. And just not every time, but sometimes just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you that when I brought this before you, you answered it and you already moved. I thank you, Lord, that when I put this before you, you, and I'll say this as a church, we'll just do it. Lord, I thank you that when I came before you, you made a way for us and you opened a beautiful place for us. Father, that when we came to you as a church and we asked you to reap where we have not sown, because that's what you said for us this year, that you brought people in from everywhere. And not just that, Father, that you prepared us for them so that we were ready when they came, that we were well-equipped and well-resourced. And Father, down the road, even years from now, that you made it possible for our church to send our people to Israel and to resource the trip for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So anyways, John chapter 17, we're going to pick up at verse 6. Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You have gave them to me and they have kept your word. Pause for a moment. What name did he manifest? Jesus. What name? Abba. Jesus says, I manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. What ethnicity were they? The ones following him. They were Jewish. They had every name of God before that point. They had the name of God, El Shaddai. They had the name of God, Jehovah Nisi. They had the name of God, uh, Jehovah Rapha. They had all the names of God in the Old Testament. But the one name that they did not have was Abba. When Jesus came and started calling God Abba, at one point the Pharisee said, he acts like God is his father. Are you with me? He manifested the name, the name that they had no idea that they could call God. Now, let me say this. Rightfully so, they could not call God Father. Only Jesus could. But I want you to see something. You see that word manifested? I have manifested your name. The word manifest right here means this. It's the same word for unveiled or reveal. I have revealed your name. Now, why am I saying that? Anytime something is unveiled or revealed to God's people, you get exactly what's unveiled. In the book of Revelation, the entire book is God, I'm sorry, Jesus unveiling himself to seven churches. That's what the whole book is about. One church is struggling. So Jesus says, let me unveil myself in this way. And as he unveils himself, they get exactly what they need. The same is true for all of us. Whatever you need from God, you don't need to do more. You just need to see more. You need more unveiled to you. And when Jesus is unveiled to you in that way, whatever you're missing or lacking in that area comes to you. Are you with me? That's why I'm going to say this. I am a firm believer. The church doesn't need more motivational. We need more revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you have a revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, he takes care of the rest. We don't need to do more. We need to see more. 
My hope is that one day someone says, I'm a revelation junkie, pastor. I need more Jesus. Show me more of Jesus. <laughs> I have manifested your name. I've revealed your name. Jesus had a revelation. Jesus walked in it. The rest of them didn't have a revelation. So Jesus says, I've unveiled your name to the men. What name is that? Abba. They were yours. You have gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray for them. I pray for them. Jesus himself is praying for us. I can pray for you, but let me say this. Jesus himself is praying for us. I want you to see the heart of the son for a moment. Just see the heart of your savior who is at the right hand of God right now. He is praying for you. I like to think that when I pray for you, things happen. But let me say more so than me. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Hey, guess what? The world didn't get the prayers he has. (laughs) Only you. Verse 10, and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Watch this. Holy what? Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are one. The word keep right here means protect. Protect them. Keep them. And what name are we kept through? Father. Father. I'm telling you, just by knowing that you are a child of God, you are protected. Just just by saying, he's my Abba. He's my Abba Father. He's my Father. You're protected. Keep through your name those whom you've given me that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Again, how did he protect the (laughs) twelve? In the name Abba. In the name Father. Jesus is saying right here in this prayer, I protected all the twelve that followed me. And not just the twelve, the other seventy that followed as well. I protected everyone who followed me in the name that you gave me. And what does he say? Uh, went forward, sorry. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, which is Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now skip ahead to verse 15. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We said that earlier, but notice what he says real quick. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. I do not pray that he should take us out of the world. Let me say this. Don't pray that God takes you out from one place or another. Pray that God protects you in the midst of it. Pray with me. Again, in some situations, the Lord is saying, your time here, your time here is over. It's time for me to move you somewhere else. But your prayer should not always be, God, just take me out of here. If that was my prayer, I'd, be, I'd have been <laughs> 50 different places. At some point, the Lord says, no, your steps are ordered. I want to protect you while you're here. I want to protect you so that they'll see you have a father. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, separate them by your truth. What truth? Your word is truth. I'm telling you, the word of God is separating all of us this morning. Separating all of us this morning. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I separate or sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. How did Jesus separate himself? Today, where is he? He's not on this earth. He's there. So I separate myself for them, that they also may be separated. Where are we at today in God's eyes? Right. Here you go. Jesus is not separated. He's on the earth saying these words, but he's praying as if he's already there. 
Are you with me? Again, he's praying as if it's already done. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all of us. Jesus quoted you right here. I don't just pray for the 12 here, but I also pray for Matthew Edwards, who will believe through their word. That they all may be one as you are one, as you are, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you know that in Proverbs, God says six things I hate, the seventh is an abomination to me. Let me say this. At a time where the church is struggling and going through a lot of what is sin, what is not sin, how can this person say they're a believer? How can they say, let me say this. Well, that, you know, this, this is an abomination to God, these things. Can I, can I, can I be gracious this morning? Can I, can I tell you why the church should not be judgmental? Can we do that for a moment? All right. I'll be, let's just be honest and open. When it comes to what is an abomination before God, if we were to say, what's an abomination? All of us probably, majority of us would quote the one thing that the world is, well, uh, uh, this is an abomination. Homosexuality, those use that. Homosexuality is an abomination before God. Right? Now, does the Bible say that uh, it is an abomination? Yes, Old Testament, it does. You know what God also calls an abomination? In Proverbs, he says a lying tongue is an abomination. Well, there goes the rest of the church right there. <laughs> All right, let's just be honest. The lying is an ab- God says it. In Proverbs, look it up. Proverbs, a lying tongue is an abomination before God. And then he says this, six things I hate. And in another place, he says this, six things I hate. God is speaking. The seventh is an abomination. You know what number seven is? One who sows discord among the brethren. There goes the other half of the church. Gone. <laughs> I'm serious. And the church wants to pick and, 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 and pinpoint the things that we think are wrong. And yet God says, hey, take the log out your own eye. Every time you spoke bad about somebody else in the church, guess what? That is an abomination to me. Every time you lied to someone, that is an abomination to me. Stop pointing out everyone else's branch in their eye and take the log out your own and realize we're all at the same place. We are all at the foot of the cross. Hey, look, all those things are bad to me. Now listen, sowing discord among the brethren is also an abomination. And right here, what does Jesus say? My prayer for you, my prayer for all of us, my prayer for the church is that they may be one, unified, one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe. Why does God want us to be unified so bad? Why does God say that uh, sowing discord among the brethren is, is an abomination? Why is Jesus praying for unity? Because when we become unified, the world will believe that Jesus was really sent. The world is struggling because they look at a church that's, that's divided. They look at a church that, won't, that, that can't be unified. I'm telling you, on every other corner of the road, there's another church. <laughs> Every corner of the road, there's another one. There's another one. I mean, in Charlotte, is, I won't leave it. The point I'm trying to make is this. There's churches everywhere. We are all so scattered and so disconnected. And Jesus is saying, I'm praying for unity. Yes. Because when the church is unified, the world will believe that, that I was really sent. Then you come to verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Watch this. I and them and you and me. That they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Watch this. That you have loved them as you have loved me. Watch this. Father, not God, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. When you love someone, you want them to experience what you're experiencing. Right? I love Parker so much. We were doing something the other day and I thought, man, Parker would love this. He would love this. You know, I love my wife so much. The other, I, we, um, my job, we went and ate somewhere and I said, Christina would love this. I can't wait to take her. When you love someone, you want them to be with you. 
You want them to experience it with you. Jesus loves you so much that he looks at his father and he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, that's me, that's you, all that you have given me, that they may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. My God, what kind of love is that? That I loved you long before you even, before I even created the world. Then he says in verse 25, O righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me and I have declared to them your name. What name is that again? I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them. and I in them. Do you know what? When you say heavenly father. Every time you say, and that's how I try to pray, right? I try to pray that way. Sometimes I don't always do it. Lord Jesus. But when you open your prayer and say, Heavenly Father. When you're in a car, you're just Heavenly Father. Or Abba Father, whatever you want to say. Whenever you are praying and you just open up from your heart, Heavenly Father. The love that God has for Jesus begins to manifest in you. It begins to manifest in you. I think part of the reason why we struggle so much is because we're still trying to come to that point where we say, He loves me. <laughs> he loves me. And the Bible says perfect love removes all fear. We don't have to fight when we know that we have a father who loves us. I'm bringing this to a close. I don't have my watch. I'm bringing this to a close. But you know what? Sorry. (laughs) Again, the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. I believe the more we talk about having a heavenly father, the love of the father will manifest in us. Amen. Amen. You'll stop looking at what you have to see how you're going to answer that problem and find out that your heavenly father will multiply the little that you bring before him. We have a money bag with a lot of resources. True. But God doesn't want to use my resources. He wants to bring the little so he can multiply it and feed 5,000. Are you with me? You have a father. Now let me close with this. Let me close with this. In Revelation chapter seven, Revelation chapter seven, I'm going to show you two places. I'm going to close with this. I showed you the high priest in the beginning for a reason. Where does the high priest put Holiness to the Lord on his forehead, right? On his forehead. It speaks of a mindset. God wants you to have a mindset. Now, let me show you what happens when you have this mindset. Revelation 7, and then we'll close with uh, Revelation 14. The Apostle John says, Then I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea. Now, watch this. He's looking at the end. He sees the end coming. And his vision of the end, he sees angels coming out. And these angels were granted to harm the earth and the sea. Now, where do we live today? We are on the earth. (laughs) We're on the earth. And God is saying, because judgment is coming, look, the judgment will come and it will fall on the earth. So what about all of us? But what did he say? Look at this one more time. Verse one, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. So he has the seal. And watch this. And that angel with the seal is about to cry out. And look what he says to those angels who are coming with the judgment. He says this, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Listen, before judgment can fall anywhere, God says, no, 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 no. I want my seal on your forehead. I want my seal on your forehead. Before judgment can fall, before things can start falling apart, let me say, the world is getting worse. The stock market goes up and then it goes back down. Let me say this, all your stocks are protected. That they don't have stocks. Get some. All your stocks are protected. <laughs> I mean that. I mean that. Your business, everything that you have is protected. 
is protected. Because long before judgment can fall on them, God is speaking and God says, tell them that judgment cannot come until all my servants are sealed. Now, you say, well, Matthew, this is for the servants. What about the sons? I'm so glad you asked that question. Watch this. Skip ahead to verse, where are we at? Oh, 14 verse 1. Look at this. Skip ahead to 14 verse 1. He says, then I looked again. Then I looked and behold a lamb. Who is the lamb? A lamb standing on Mount Zion, where our hotel was, standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Are you with me? Oh, man. What is the seal he puts on the foreheads that protects you? Abba. Now, again, Revelation opens up by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ signed to the Apostle John, signed to the Apostle John. Does it mean that they will literally write Abba on their foreheads? There will some, there are some who probably will, but these are all signs pointing to something else. What is he trying to show us? Have a mindset, have a mindset that says you are my Abba. Have a mindset that says no matter what comes at me, I have a heavenly father. Have a mindset that keeps telling you no matter what. I mean, just keep reminding yourself right somewhere on your, put it on your phone, put on a piece of paper in your car. I have a heavenly father. I have a heavenly father. The next time a problem comes, say it out loud. I have a heavenly father. I have a heavenly father. I can't just suffer through life. I have a heavenly father. Like they said, again, I'll give credit to both. We are not orphans. We have a heavenly father. I have a heavenly father. Well, Matthew, what are you going to do? I don't know, but I have a heavenly father. He'll figure it out for me. I'm praying in the name of He will figure it out. I'm praying tongues until the in between. But I have a heavenly father. And I'm telling you, because you have a heavenly father, he will move for you. On this Father's Day, you have a heavenly father. Let me close with this. Thank you, Let me close with this. <laughs> as much as I love Parker, we were, uh, gosh, where were we? Now my mind just went blank. I had this awesome story to tell about Parker. As much as I love Parker, let me say this. Parker is all of three years old. All right? He's three. He doesn't know what's good for him. He doesn't know what's bad for him yet. He wants sugar. That's it. He just wants sugar. He's just like me. I had a sweet tooth. He just wants sugar on top of sugar. And as much as I love him, I'm, I'm a better father than to give him all the sugar he asked for. <laughs> the other day, we were, I was at Starbucks, and I know that Parker loves cake pops. I know he loves them. So I go, and I buy him a cake pop, and I'm on my way home. And uh, I get to the house, and I hear screaming on the other side of the door. Clearly, he's had a moment. So I open the door. I go in, and I act like a father, right? I go in. I lay down the rod and the iron fist, <laughs> and I deal with the issue, all right? Now, I did it because I love him. All right. If you don't love your children, you don't discipline. But we discipline because we love. So I discipline him. Finally, about five minutes later, he comes back and I knew he was coming back to say he was sorry. But I love him. And so what I did was I went and I grabbed the cake pop first and I opened it up. And as soon as he came around the corner, he goes, Daddy, I'm sorry. And his eyes. (laughs) I had this moment where I was like, I beat him because I knew what he was going to do. I knew he was coming around the corner to say he was sorry. He does. It. It's just, I don't know where he got it from, but he waits a minute. He'll come around and he'll just say, I'm sorry. He'll put it, he'll sit on your lap, put his head on your chest and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, you didn't have to go as far as you did. He's like, I know, but I'm sorry. I'm like, okay. And I knew I could hear his footsteps coming around. And I was like, Matthew, move quick, move quick. And I reached for my desk. I grabbed the cake pop. I took it out the wrapper. And as soon as he hit the corner, he came around the corner and said, daddy, I'm sorry. And his eyes up and he saw what I had done. And I did it like that on purpose because I don't want him to think. He's blessed because he's apologized. 
And I had this moment where later on I was at work and I was bragging about what I did. Yeah, I gave my son, I got him before he could say he was sorry. And they're like, oh, you know, and he's only three years old. And, and I had this moment where the Lord just kind of, ha- I was just at work and the Lord just kind of reminded me, but you know, that's what I do for you. Yeah. And that's what I want to do for you. Yeah. They said, but you have this mindset and it's the Lord for me. And some of us might fall in this category. We might not. They said, but you have this mindset that until you say, I'm sorry that I can't bless you mm-hmm. and you've missed out on so much. When there's so much that I want to give you, even before you know you made it. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.